Welcome, everybody, to Bible Ask Live. We're so excited that you could join us tonight. And our uh, co-host, Tina, will be joining us hopefully in a little bit. Again, our <laughs> technical issues that always bring up just before the show. It's, uh, I'm sure, something we could write a book about in the upcoming years. So we are excited, especially for today, because today is the beginning of Passover, and the Sunday is Easter a time when we get to really reflect on the amazing sacrifice that God has accomplished for us to restore our relationship with him and to cover over our sins and just pave the way for us to be restored back into his image. So we have a lot of questions that are actually really on point today. We're going to be talking about forgiveness and the different aspects of that. So we're really excited for today's show. And uh, as always, you could join us at BibleAsk.live to submit a question. And uh, even now we are live, so drop in your questions in the chat. We'll love to answer those as we go. And we love it also when you chime in with your, uh, your Bible verses, your, your ideas, and your answers. And let's have a wonderful discussion tonight. And Tina, are you able to uh, say anything? <laughs> We're not able to hear you, Tina. All right, we'll keep trying. And Wendy, would you like to open us up with prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you so much for this very special Sabbath day um, to this Good Friday and this opportunity to really draw near to you and to your love and to the sacrifices that you have made and the character that you have revealed to us through how what you have demonstrated throughout this weekend that we are celebrating. and. Um, we just want to pray, especially that you are able to help uh, this technology to work and that Tina will be able to join us sooner than later. And also, Lord, we ask that um, you will help us to share your love with people and to help each each viewer to know a little bit more about you and your character through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's. Let us start with our first question, if yes. we're able to get that up. All right, so Leandro is asking, I offended some people, and now it is no longer possible to ask forgiveness from these people. I no longer have contact with these people. And in the Bible, it says that anyone who does not ask forgiveness from those who have offended will go to hell. What do I do? Will God forgive me? And this is... Uh, this is a really good question, and actually, a little bit of background, we're actually going to have uh, a few questions from Leandro and a couple other people, all different good breakdowns of issues that I think people struggle with when it comes to forgiveness and sins and uh, salvation. They're all kind of interrelated, right? So so he says he's forgiven given some people, has not gotten forgiveness. Does that mean he's going to uh, basically not, let's say, not be saved? Because we... We can talk about whether there's hell, what is hell, what does that look like? We'll save that for another video, which, in fact, we've already made, and check it out. So, when it comes to forgiveness, do we have to have the forgiveness of other people in order to be saved? The answer is an absolute no. We do not, our salvation is not dependent on the grace of others, only on the grace of God, on, on the grace that Jesus Christ accomplished for us, on Passover, like this in this season, uh, 
you know, about 2,000 years ago. So let's, uh, let's see what the Bible actually says about it, though. Don't just take my word for it. Let's check out Luke 5, so Luke chapter 5, starting around verse 20. This is the story of the paralytic who uh, was brought to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus didn't just immediately go put his hand on the person and say, you are healed. No, the first thing he says is what? He says in uh, verse 20, when he, Jesus, saw their faith of the friends who brought him, so it's even is their faith, not even the paralytics, he said to the paralytic, man, your sins are forgiven you. So did Jesus say your sins, you know, let, let me go make sure um, all the people you wronged will forgive you? No. Jesus, sorry, pick issues. <laughs> um, Jesus said, um, going to forgive your sins. I can do that. I am the one who can do it. And the, the scribes and the Pharisees immediately picked up on this. As we see in verse 21, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? So they picked up, wait, this, this is heresy what this guy's doing. And they say, who could first forgive sins but God alone? So they knew this. They knew the Bible teaches only God can forgive sins. And by the way, everything you can't believe everything the Pharisees are recorded saying. But in this case, they're like, yeah, we, we're told only God can do it. They're right. Um, but verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven to you, or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, or sorry, forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So Jesus right here, he performs a miracle of healing the man to prove to us also that he has the power to forgive sin. And this was even before Christ paid for our debts on the cross. He was forgiving even before that happened. And how much more so now that the debt has been paid that Christ can forgive our sins. And it's important to keep in mind that at the heart of sin, we are really harming God, where we are really breaking his laws. So it's really him that's in the position to do the forgiving. It's kind of this concept of like, uh, we are as parents, let's say, and we have kids, uh, and uh, one kid hits the other kid, injuring this kid. Uh, you know, you as a parent, that's, that's number one, that's hurting you because they're your kids, and it, you're in pain seeing your other kid hurt. You also have laws for your kids, these rules that you say don't hurt one another, so they're breaking your rules. This is kind of how it is also with God. So when we sin, we're sinning against God. And there's some amazing stories to look at, uh, especially in, in this context of showing us how forgiveness works and sin works. The, my favorite one is about David, King David. You know, the one of the, the, the Bible looks at it as one of the best of the kings Israel ever had. And always talks about a man after God's heart. But his record was stained you know, it, like there's this one little blemish on his record. Well, not one little one. This is a big blemish, and he made a couple of mistakes. Uh, but there's this one that's really recorded there for us to understand the forgiveness process. So 
David has he sees Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and he thinks very lustfully. He desires to sleep with her. She's brought to him. He sleeps with her. She he sends her away. Uh, eventually, she realizes she got pregnant from sleeping with David, and it had to be David because her husband is away fighting wars. He's not home there to be sleeping with her. And David now starts panicking because he realizes, uh-oh, everybody knows I slept with her and he wasn't around, so this is going to be my kid. Oh, my. This is going to be a big scandal, especially when you're David, who's supposed to be the, the godly king, right? So he's got to cover this up, he thinks. So he... He sets up this whole scandal where Uriah then uh, is is brought to the front lines and basically betrayed. Everybody abandons him. He gets killed. And David, David thinks he gets away with it. And probably moves on, forgets about it. But God didn't forget about it. And God sends the prophet Nathan to go speak to David and tells this uh, brilliant parable of this man that had many sheep uh, but then, and has the people come over, and rather than sacrifice one of his sheep, he took this this sheep from this poor man, who all he had was that one little sheep, and he loved that sheep, took care of it, but the rich man took that poor man's sheep. And David's like, that man should die. And Nathan says, David, that man is you, because of what you did. So, we, let's start there, the story. Second Samuel 12, verse 7. It says, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you over the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And okay, so wow. I mean, just like, could you wrong someone more than that? You know, to, to sleep with their wife and then kill them to cover it up. I mean, this is like about as bad as get right. And so Nathan, so here David never had a chance to be forgiven by Uriah. Uriah never forgave David's sin. But what happens? 2 Samuel 12, so same chapter, verse 13 now. says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So David's not even so much worried about, like, oh my, I sinned against Uriah. He's like, oh wow, I have sinned against God. I have hurt God. And Nathan said to David, Keywords here. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also put away your sin. You shall not die. So see that we here we see immediately God forgave Satan. I mean, sorry, forgave David. And D David basically told, Yeah, you're not going to die. You're not going to suffer immediate uh, punishment of death for what you did. Even though you would deserve it, God, by his grace, will forgive you because it's within God's power to do that. It's God's law that requires death for sin, and it's God who then has the power to decide whether or not to execute that against us. So, perhaps, uh, perhaps coming out of this story, we have some amazing psalms that are attributed to David that further confirm it's God that does the forgiving. So we have 
Psalm 32, verses 1 to 11. And it reads, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Uh, and that covered and atonement have very similar uh, imagery words in the Hebrew. Um, verse 2, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Chapter 2, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. And in the Bible, it's capital, capital Y in the U, signifying to God. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave, you God, capital, capital Y there, forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is good shall pray to you, to God. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You, God, are my hiding place. You, God, shall preserve me from trouble. You, God, shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And if you jump to verse five, uh, 10, it says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. So just again and again and again, all attributing to, to, to God. God is the one who forgives. So, uh, just a couple more verses. Uh, now, jumping to the New Testament. We've just been in Old Testament mostly, but New Testament, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, to redeem by God, Christ's blood that he shed on the cross 2000, almost 2,000 years ago. And that's the forgiveness we have. First Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, be put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He himself, First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. So our salvation is in the hands of God. He worked it out. And as 1 John 1, 9 says, he, he, God, capital H, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, praise God we're not dependent on the forgiveness of, and mercy of other humans. It's all in his hands. And uh, we'll touch more, though, in, in the next time. But what does it mean when the Bible talks about we needing to forgive others or binding others? So there's still that question that we'll touch on uh, touch on next. But Tina, are you back? Are we able to hear you? Oh, I think I'm back. Oh no, am I frozen? <laughs> oh no. Oh yay. Yay, I'm so glad to be here. And praise God, you know, I think you give a very thorough answer. I think, you know, I totally agree. You know, I think the story of David is honestly probably one of the best stories. Um, I'm going to talk, you know, thinking about forgiveness. And I think that's such a powerful message to remember that no matter what, God is always going to forgive us um, at all times because he loves us so much. And, um, you know, I think that that's something that. Hmm. 
We lost you, Tina. Oh no, it froze. But, um, yeah. Oh, you you froze for a moment there. Uh oh. <laughs> oh, All bummer. Right. All right, so maybe we need to get to your question while your internet's still working. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right. right, so question number two. Able to so, Anna Nemo asks, I blasphemed God. I said, God, forgive me that I didn't want to see the face of God and that I would never go to church. Was it blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Will God forgive me? Anonimo, that is a great question. And, you know, I think you are like many, many people who have, you know, in a moment of anger or passion or, you know, just strong feelings, you just said something to God that was not, you know, respectful or, you know, not the way you want to speak to your God in heaven. And I will say that, you know, God definitely will forgive you. Um, and so I do want to leave with um, the Bible verse that Jay just mentioned, First John 1, 9. I think that this is the absolute epiphany of any question, you know, as far as an answer as to, you know, will God forgive you? of, you know, saying something against, um, against him. And, you know, first John 1, 9 is very clear. It says, if we confess our sins, so it starts with the condition of if, so the only condition of God forgiving, if we confess our sins. So if you confess to God, Lord, I said this, and I'm sorry. Um, it says going on in the verse, it says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, yes, my brother, if or sister, um, if you, you know, said this to God and, you know, first of all, no, you did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. The Holy To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is when you no longer hear the Spirit's voice calling to you and you refuse to for or ask for forgiveness. That's when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You, my friend, have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Um, it, and I can tell by the way you even wrote this question that you feel a lot of guilt and, um, you know, a lot of remorse for what you said. And I totally understand. And so, no, you've not done the unpardonable sin. And yes, God will forgive you. All you need to do is confess to God. And he is absolutely faithful to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I just want to um, give you one more verse. And I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. But basically it says, um, you know, when we ask God, to forgive us. He gives us so many beautiful illustrations um, to kind of show us exactly, um, you know, just how God forgives us. And there's this beautiful verse, um, I'm trying to remember where it's at, and please, if you guys um, can help me, because I, I always forget this uh, where this one is. But basically, it's talking about where um, Jesus or God takes our sins and throws them into the depths of the sea. So just imagine as you confess your sin that, um, like you said, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all righteousness. Imagine you're, it's like you're taking that sin like a stone and throwing it in the depth of the sea. It, God says He remembers it no more. And so please know, yes, you are forgiven, absolutely. And um, just imagine it going into the depth of the sea. I don't know, Jay, when you, if you know that verse, um, he's taking our sins and throwing them to the depth of the sea. Uh, I'm let me see if I can find that. And 
Um, oh, there's another verse. Oh, uh, Micah seven nineteen. There you go. Thank you so much. Um, again, this is just such a precious verse. Oh, I was right there. The next one. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. People again. Yeah. I have a list of them. And so yeah, he, it says he will for, have again compassion on us. This is God's heart for us. God will have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquity. Subdue means to cover it. And we'll cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. So I just want you to imagine that you are, or in your mind, know for a fact, because God's promised in his word, Micah 7, 19, that he does forgive. And he not only covers your sin, but he throws it in the sea. You just don't have to worry about it anymore once you give it to God. So I pray that's a blessing to you. Any other thoughts, my friends? Oh, amen. That's such a beautiful verse. I, I love that Micah verse. Amen. All right, let's, we have a lot of questions, so let's. Keep we it we have a live question though, and a, and a very important one from Sean M. And Sean, I am Sean. We're we're glad you join us, and um, thank you for asking this question. And Wendy, would you like to read it? Sure. So Sean is is commenting here. I am struggling with panic disorder. Can you give me advice to get through this? So Sean, we obviously cannot give you uh, health advice at all, but. Uh, maybe we could give you some Bible verses because you probably could be dealing with spiritual warfare and and really anything of the mind uh, is is very much closely related to a spiritual attack by Satan to um, to just bring us into a state that God doesn't want us to be. If you read the Bible, I, I think I may have counted one time. There's about like 400, 500 rest, uh, references to the word peace. Maybe I can look that up right now even. Peace, just even in the King James Version, there are, yeah, 429 references to that word. And if you see God again and again and again, it says, have peace, be at peace, don't be afraid. And God never made us with the intent to, to have these feelings. So the question is, where do they come from? Why do we live in a state of, uh, of fear? We have panic. We have, um, you know, all the feelings we have, the, the feeling of hopelessness. Where, what's the, their origin? And it it comes from, I think one of the best things I ever heard and I really come to really understand is we were made from the beginning to be loved and to love. And that was going to be the, the environment we would be in. And there wouldn't be any death. There wouldn't be any pain. There would, there would be no scarcity. We would never experience loss. And so now we're in this world that is harsh, that is uh very much adverse to us we have the enemy always working against us and if we were alone yes we would need to have panic we need to be worried but the thing is we are not alone god has never abandoned us i love uh what uh the angel told jacob you know i am always with you and it was pretty much those same words that jesus said as he was about to send up behold i am with you even till the end. And so he is with us and Christ left so that the Holy Spirit would become intimately a part of us. So that God no longer was just dwelling in person, occupying one small space, but now God can uh, abide in us and we can abide in him. And when we have that close connection with God and we realize God is with us, in us, through every experience of our life, I hope that really changes the perspective now. And is 
and we're talking about the God that is the creator, the God who uh, is all-powerful, the Almighty, who yet wants you to call him Father. And, and this is now key, because remember, what is this God? Is this a God to be afraid of? Yes, the Bible says fear God, but that fear is reverence, that God is submission. Because as, as uh, Jesus said, don't fear, don't fear basically the world. Fear me. It's to fear him who can destroy the body and spirit in hell. So that's, that would, the only person that could do that is God. And if the only person that could really destroy you is God, and yet he's on your side, wants to be with you, what else is there for us to be afraid of? And God says, and, and this is a critical verse, I, maybe, and I hope this will help you because this is what gives me peace. This is 1 John 4, 18. It reads, There is no fear in love, no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that, it, that is not made perfect in love, or he that fears is not made perfect in love. What is, what is John saying here? John's saying, you know, that, yeah, if, if we're just living in a state of fear, and, and part of it is just being afraid of God, being afraid of God's punishment, that, that's the main context here. Um, but, but just think about it. If we are back to being in a state where we're understanding God is loving us and we're basking in that love, we're receiving that love, nothing else really can be left. That there's no space, there's no room for fear. Just think about like the child who is surrounded by the arms of, of that child's mother or father. Is that child now worried about anything else happening or is just completely now immersed in the love and feels the comfort from that? And that's what we have to do is realize God covers us with his love and is there surrounding us with it. So 1 John 4, 19, the very next verse that we just read says, we love him because he first loved us. And we could just go on and unpacking these things, but I hope these are, these are concepts that will help you. I think one of the important things to add to this also is that you know, panic, anxiety, these kinds of things, these are symptoms of our nervous system. And a lot of times when we study the Bible, when we read God's word, when we think about these concepts, we're stuck in kind of like this head knowledge of it, instead of like really taking it all the way into our nervous system. And it's, it's when we can bring that love all the way in. And, you know, it, Find that, that place of total peace with God and literally like allow our nervous system to be rewired. That's, that's, you know, that's kind of what God wants to do for us is rewire, is help us to rewire that our nervous system because trauma, um, all, all kinds of things that we can experience in life, the environment we live in, the things that we're surrounded by, can create can 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 tax our nervous system and and especially from early life things that we experience in early life have a huge impact on our nervous system if we are connected if 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 our parent is has a nervous system that is 
uh, on edge and anxious all the time, we are likely to develop that. It all gets back to, we were made to love and be loved. And when we're not growing up in that environment, we're not surrounded by that love. That's when, right. That's my belief that why we're going to experience so many of the, the problems and issues we do. Exactly. And, and so, so we need to go back to letting God's love really be that love that replaces what we don't get elsewhere. Yeah. And really, really coming to know his character, that that character of love and and conforming our life to that and conforming even the the environment which we are in to being around people who also embrace that character of love. and you know, it would be nice to be able to say that, like, you could go to any church and find that. And it's important for us to be in communities of believers, but, but also people in church are broken also, you know, and so finding the places where you feel, where you experience that connection and you experience that safety that does help you to have peace and, and, and learning to develop, like, to understand yourself and what, your needs are so that you can develop that trust more and and experience God's love into those parts of your life that you maybe didn't have when you were younger. Those are the things that that help to bring that that healing in our nervous system and that training in our nervous system to trust in God. Amen. All right, Tina, are we are you back? And Sean, I hope that's helpful. Feel free to reach out if you um, have more questions. Thank you for joining us tonight, and we'll keep you in our prayers. All right, Tina. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Um, But now we're getting feedback. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Just really quick, one quick verse I want to share with you, my friend, um, is just Isaiah 26.3 that says, and I, I agree with all that my brothers and sisters, my brother and sister shared, but um, just one verse that has helped um, some people I know with panic um, uh, is Isaiah 26, 3, that says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. And so just remembering that God does want to give you that peace. And, you know, there's definitely, you know, sometimes there's um, a need for, you know, medical intervention and that sort of a thing thing but it's also very important to remember to just try to keep a mind that stayed on god um because that will bring about another level of peace that only god can give you so i just pray for your healing and your blessing my friend Amen. all right shall we get our next question up all right so leandro is asking if there are at least two people against someone going to heaven that person will go to hell. That's true. All right. This is, it's always a short question that actually take the most answer to impact, but I'll try to go quickly. Um, answer is no, that's not true. Um, let's start off, but, but, but I know this is a concept that a lot of people struggle with because there are verses that this, this viewpoint can be um, thought of if we, if we don't have full context, full understanding. So, Let's uh, let's see what Leandro is referring to and uh, unpack it. So start up at Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. Reads, and I, I also, this is Jesus speaking, and I also say unto you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then there's a similar verse, uh, two chapters down, Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Jesus says, As surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in earth will also be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in their name, I am in the midst of them. So I believe these are two verses kind of that Leandro is referring to. There's others that are similar to it. Um, so Jesus seems to be saying, right, if you agree on anything, we can sort of bind God, right? If we agree someone should go to hell, God will respect it, send him to hell. Or we want someone to go to heaven. Uh, doesn't matter, you know, if it's the worst person on a human being, earth, we can uh, agree Satan, uh, sorry, that, um, oh yeah, let's say even Satan, we should agree Satan should go to heaven, have eternal life, God will respect that. Uh, obviously, there's, uh, when you look at these ludicrous um, extremes, you realize that can't be what Jesus is saying, and, and that's true, he's not. So, what Jesus is saying really is that if we're praying and asking and doing these things in alignment with God's will, and he says, you know, when you're gathered in my name, when we're gathered in his name, we're gathered in his character. So we have the mind of Christ, we're thinking like God, doing what God wants. That is when prayer becomes powerful and God, God starts doing what we ask for because we're actually doing what he wants, and, and it's more like we're giving him permission to act. And it's, it, what is God's will? It's God's will that we forgive. That is God's will. God will respect our wishes if we ask him to forgive, but we cannot bind God to withhold forgiveness. Uh, to the contrary, God will eagerly override us if it means he can be reconciled with one of his sons or daughters. So let's, Let's look at some verses here to uh, back up what I, I, I just said. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 18. This is Paul speaking. Powerful, right? Let's, let's unpack this. He says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So God did the reconciling. Nobody had to intervene. Nobody was the mediator other than Christ and God bringing us together Back to God. That is that, so going back to verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their transgressions to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given us the word of reconciliation, i.e., the gospel. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what is this verse saying, right? God has accomplished amazing work of reconciliation. Those of us who are converted and brought it to harmony and relationship with God God now wants us to turn around and bring others back into harmony and relationship with God. If we refuse to forgive sins, we refuse to um, help people uh, break free from their past, move on. You know, we refuse to heal rifts. We heal, forgive, refuse, re, refuse relationships. We are 
doing the contrary work of what the ministry of reconciliation is. And we're not preaching in word or deed what is the word of reconciliation. And if you look in that verse, right, nowhere does Paul say that salvation is dependent on our sins being forgiven by any other human being. Rather, God has, by God alone, carried out the plan of salvation to restore relationship to us. And once our relationship with God has been restored, again, God wants us now to bring about reconciliation between him and others. And that also requires us to be reconciled with others amongst ourselves so that they can see and better understand God's reconciliation. You know, so like that key to heaven, like Jesus said, you know, I'm giving you guys a key to heaven. Well, what is that key? I tell you, that key is the, the word of reconciliation Paul was talking about in the verse we just read. I hear some other verses to confirm that. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth is what unlooses people that are in bondage. Luke eleven fifty two. 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. Sorry, yeah, those, of, those who were entering, you hindered. So not only are you withholding the knowledge that can save people, but you are standing in the way of people, maybe giving false knowledge, false doctrines that are getting in the way of people getting to uh, finding a relationship with God. Romans 1.19, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Um, verses after verses after verses, again, covering the keys to heaven is the gospel, and we open the door or help open the door for people by the word. And it's important, I, I love this concept, that it, love cover, covers over a multitude of sins. God is love. God loves us. God wants us to love. So what does love do? Love covers over a multitude of sins. You see this in Proverbs 10, verses 11 to 12. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Or like it opens a key to heaven. But violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And we see this verse repeated by, by Peter in 1 Peter 4, 8. He says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another. We must love one another. He says, For love will cover over a multitude of sins. That's what God wants us to do. God wants us to love. And if we are to love, we must forgive. Love is the commandment. All the commandments boil down to love. Forgiveness is then a central component to all of this. To not forgive is, to, is basically a flavor of hating somebody. And this lack of love and forgiveness is ironically destructive to the person who refuses to forgive. Um, I mean, what, what's our friend who, who teaches about his, like, poison? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I like what, what Dr. Dick Tibbetts has to say on this subject. He says, to failure to forgive is like drinking or taking a poison pill and hoping that the other person dies. So forgiveness is something that we do from ourselves, essentially for ourselves. It's, it, it, it is a it is a first step before a relationship can be uh, re reestablished, re reconnected. 
if I'm angry at my husband for something, thankfully that doesn't happen very often, but um, if, if I was angry at him about something, it would be very hard for me to have a, to enter into a relationship with him that is, that, that he's going to feel comfortable with because I'm angry at him, right? So I have to go through the process of forgiveness before I can enter into that, that relationship because he's going to experience that, that anger if I don't. And who wants yeah. to be or with an anger person? Or what? You know, right. so, so it gets back to the forgiveness as part of the ministry of reconciliation and God wants us mm-hmm. to be carrying out. But I want to add to this. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Forgiveness no, is simply, it's a part of the it process. It is a first of, step yeah. before reconciliation can occur. But recon, but to get to reconciliation, there's more than forgiveness involved. Yeah. And we'll talk about should you forgive everybody or, or be reconciled to everybody. Um, so uh, now let's look at some things where actually not only we called you know, the, we can't, you know, so yeah, there's Bible verses say we are called to forgive. And by the way, getting feedback now. Oh, there we go. It says, uh, let's look at the Lord's Prayer where um, we're called to actually forgive. And we're going to have problems if we don't forgive. Matthew, oh, sorry, Mark, Mark 11, verses 25 to 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. The, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus' exposition on this, a um, couple of verses down, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. For if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So again and again and again. And we see this parable in Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about um, this man who owed a ton of money, like an unfathomable amount of money. And uh, the, the king of this land forgives him the debt. But then this guy that was forgiven turns around and then starts beating up and, and, and trying to collect on this guy that owes him just a small amount of money. And then how does it end? Well. The king is furious and locks up the man who had been forgiven much, but didn't realize it. This is how God is. Uh, God very much will hold us to the same law and standard by which we treat others. And so if we refuse to forgive, God will not forgive. If we're merciful and loving and forgiving to people, that's the same way God will come to us. So Luke 7, like 3... Three to four, take heed of yourselves. If you your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. This is when we're supposed to forgive, when someone repents. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you say, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Um, so keep this in mind. This is, this is important. John 2, 20, verses 22 to 23. And when he has said, he breathed on them and sorry, yeah, this talk about Jesus before he ascended. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they will be retained. 
right? So similar to the some of the other verses we talked about. What does it mean they'll be retained? Again, I think all these verses here are in the context of where someone has not repented. We have the ability to pray for God to forgive someone, even if that person has not repented. Where we are the person, let's say, who's been wronged, that person has not repented, we can still pray for God to forgive them. And we see this. Luke 23, 34, Jesus on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So here, Jesus is saying, please forgive them, Lord. They haven't, they don't even know their sin, so they haven't even thought yet to ask for forgiveness. But please, I'm asking you, God, forgive them. If I can forgive them, surely, God, you can. Right? This is sort of the, the idea here. We have, you see the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. Uh, sorry, verse Verse 59 it says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. So Stephen's, Stephen's last thought is, God, I don't want to see these people pay the penalty of price for this stupid sin they're committing against me. And sure, I think God will respect that, and they will not have to pay the price for that particular sin, because because James forgave him. So, so just think of the ramification of this now. On the day of judgment, when God's going to hand down the punishments to people, there will be times where God will say, you committed this sin, but you know what? This person forgave you. And because of that, I'm going to forgive you of this one. And there's this other sin over here. This, per this wonderful Christian person also forgave you of it. And, and this is going to be, I think, a powerful witness of just the difference between the wicked and the righteous. And um, I, again, I can't fully back this up, but I think this is this is way it's going to play out. This is what the Bible is saying when you can bind and loose. It's it's situations like this. And just keep in mind again that spiritual that forgiveness is a part of spiritual warfare, and our forgiveness might be an opportunity to to help someone get reconnected to God, and to not let Satan have the victory. As we see in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 to 11, it says, But if anyone has caused grief, he, did not, he has not grieved it to me, but all of you, to some extent, not, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm, reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For, I, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan is hoping to have us sin against one another, to have us not forgive each other, to drive our relationships apart. I mean, he is anti-relationships because love is relationships. Love is about connections and and. And, and just people coming together and, and enjoying each other and supporting one another, all these things that, that love, that's the experience God wants us to have. Satan wants to destroy all of that. 
And so if we step back and realize when there's a sin and something goes on and we are mad and we want to not have anything to do with people, this is very much the moments when Satan is at work. And we need to pause, step back and reflect and say, is there a way where we can make sure Satan won't have the victory here and we can accomplish God's ministry of reconciliation? So that's all I have to say. Tina, any thoughts? Did you have um, your mic working? I hope so. Is it working? Can you hear me? Oh, it's dipping in and out a little bit. Uh-oh. Let me try now. Can you hear me now? Sorry, guys. We've had a crazy night. Let me just yeah. tell you that. Is it any better? Oh, oh Ansel has a... We have a, a question from Ann XJO. Right, welcome back, our friend. And actually, your question is the next question, if you're ready, Tina, for it. Yeah, can you guys hear me okay? Oh, actually, that would be my next question. <laughs> it, yeah, we yes, we can hear we you. Can, we can hear you. It's okay. it's a little distorted, but we can hear you and understand you. Okay, all right. Well, the next question is for from the same um, person, Leandro, which honestly um, is uh, kind of goes along with what we just shared uh, a minute ago, as far as you know. Because you're asking if two if two people are against someone going to heaven, that person will go to hell. And um, the next question kind of feeds into um, what you just asked. So I don't know, Wendy, if you want to um, ask that one. And I think it'll kind of address what our friend Anx Joe just asked as well. Sure. Let's go ahead and get that question up. So. Yeah. Is this one? Okay. So. Anonimo asks, if a person does something disgusting that makes everyone hate him with all his might and doesn't want to be around him, will he go to hell? For no one will want to live with her in heaven. So that I'm going to say, um, here's the thing. <laughs> it kind of feeds or goes along with what our friend Jay just said, as far as, you know, you know, the attitude of somebody who's going to heaven, the people that are going to go to heaven are people who are um, you know, demonstrating the character of God and God's character is a character of forgiveness and of love. And there's no way that you can go to heaven while hoping somebody else won't be there. That's not the character of somebody who's going to heaven. And it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how much you give to church or, you know, whatever it is, however holy you think you are. If you don't have a spirit of love and forgiveness in you, you're not in a place you, you're not um, in a relationship with God that is where God sees you fit or, or safe to be in heaven because heaven is a place of love and forgiveness. And so, you know, even if you, if somebody does something terrible that is, you know, disgusting or whatever it is, um, if you're, if you confess your sins, like we've shared in first John one nine, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, other people might not forgive you, but that doesn't mean you will not have access to heaven. God is the one in control of who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And God is going to take the people there who truly want to repent, to turn away from their sin and to turn to God and to have a new heart. And so if somebody is wishing and hating you or wishing you don't go to heaven or, you know, that sort of a thing. It doesn't matter how, what people think about you or what people feel towards you, because what the only thing that matters when it comes to going to heaven or not is your relationship with God. 
Now, does that mean that the person who did something terrible shouldn't ask for forgiveness? Of course they should, and they should try to make things right. Um, we definitely see examples of that in the Bible, like the story of Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus had, you know, conned his own people and stolen from, you know, people and even, you know, poor people. He was a thief and a liar, but yet Jesus still wanted to reach his heart. And Zacchaeus, when he um, was for, you know, he recognized his sin, um, he went out and repaid four times what he stole. And so, you know, it was, it wasn't that his repayment was, is what forgave him. It was that the forgiveness God gave him is what caused him to then change his heart and do um, what was right in God's eyes. And again, we see that um, even in the story that uh, my friend Jay just uh, talked about, which is a parable where the man, you know, owed like a million dollars or, you know, crazy amount of money. And um, there was another person who only owed like a hundred dollars. And the man that was forgiven, like the million dollars, um, you know, he then afterwards goes and, you know, tries to get his money from the man that only owed him a hundred. And the thing is, what you see in that story is that, you know, God is the one that owns everything. And the forgiveness that God gives us should change our heart to forgive others. And so, you know, if there's somebody out there that, you know, I don't know if you've wronged them and they've not forgiven you, you know, do what you can to reconcile with them, you know, ask them for forgiveness, um, you know, repay them if you've stolen or, you know, restore what you can uh, as much as is possible. But if they still refuse to forgive you, just know that God will always forgive you if you come to him with true repentance. And that you don't need to live in a state of, you know, anxiety or fear that God won't forgive you because he will, um, as long as you come to him with a right heart. And so I hope that um, answers your question, my friend. And I hope that, you know, even as terrible as something, you know, that could have been done may have happened. Um, it doesn't matter because we, you know, we've all come short of the glory of God. And um, again, just one last story reference to the Bible. You know, when you think of the stoning of Stephen, like my friend Jay just talked about, um, you know who was in that crowd of people when Stephen, this righteous man, was stoned? It was a man named Saul who became Paul. And Saul was going around killing Christians. And yet Jesus sought his heart. And that man, Saul, became Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who was the greatest evangelist of the whole, of in all of history. He was an amazing, amazing um, witness for Christ. And so, you know, I know that when we go to heaven, our friend Stephen, who was there where Saul was saying, crucify, you know, kill, kill Stephen, they're going to be in heaven together one day. And I know that Stephen will be so happy that Paul, you know, Paul made it there. Because that was, you know, because Stephen had the right heart. He had the heart of Jesus. And so anybody who goes to heaven is going to want you or anybody to be there, no matter what sin um, anybody's committed. God will still always want people there because we are all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God, but we can all have forgiveness and salvation through the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So I hope that answers your question, my friend. And I pray that um, you continue to look to God for a new heart, a new life, and um, that you get, God gives you that peace and assurance of salvation. Uh, Jay, Wendy, any other thoughts on that? Nope, we're good. We are good. Okay. Thank you. That was an excellent answer. And, um, and then I think we could, uh, I can answer also from maybe from an, another angle too, and Angst Joe's 
question. I'm, I'm probably pronounced it wrong because um, it ties really good with the next question I have too. Let's go ahead and put both of those questions up one and then the other. All right, so Leandro is asking, will all suicides go to hell? And then let's go ahead and put Angstro's question up as well. If you did something bad and aren't forgiven, then why not suicide? So one is first, you know, will suicides go to heaven? And then the other one is then why not, basically? Why why not suicide? And that, and that's a, a, a very good question, too. And, and honestly, I see so many people who struggle with the, the questions of what to um what to even expect for heaven and can't visualize it. This world is so dark that he can't even imagine a better place. And, um, oh, AJ. Okay. So Ancho says, call him AJ. So we'll call you AJ and want to give, um, say hi to the other people joining us on Twitch. It's great to actually see you guys and, and saying hi. So thank you. We are live and we do our best to uh, answer questions as they come. So thank you all of you for coming in. So talk about touchy issue about suicide, right? And most nobody usually wants to talk about it. And and um, and it's really interesting though what the Bible says. So the questioner asks, will all suicides go to heaven? Some people might say, well, any. Um, but it's interesting to first think about did Jesus maybe even suicide? Um, and this is controversial, right? But he says in first John 10, 17, therefore my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down and have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. And then we also have in the story of Samson, where you know, basically Samson asked God for strength to be able to take his life. He says, Samson says in Judges 16, verse 30, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. So argument could be made. Here we have two suicides in the Bible by, I mean, one is Jesus, right? The, the man who did not sin and uh, Samson, who is recorded in Hebrews 11 as being one of those people of faith that we could probably expect to see in heaven. So, but, but, did they just casually lay down their life? What was the reason they did it? Um, Samson's is complex, right? But in, in at least the direct thing he accomplished was complete devastation of the Philistines. He said he killed more in that one act than he did the rest of his entire life combined. So he had accomplished a lot of good. And then in Jesus, of course, by his death, all of us find life now. And so it was not a selfish act. It was an act of love. Um, but why, why would someone who's feeling the urges to take their life want to not do it? Why, why would you not want to do it? And I think the reason, the, there's, there's probably all sorts of reasons why people are feeling those, those thoughts. When we were filming a documentary on mental health, uh, we, set, we kept seeing again and again and again the same story as someone saying, like, I've just been having these voices in my head, just end your life, just take it, just, just let it go. And we don't, want, we don't want anybody to entertain those thoughts. That is, I would say, the tongue of Satan. Um, this life is, again, about, it should be about being loved and loving. And 
maybe around you, the people around you, you're not going to find that love. And that is, that's a travesty. That was not what God wanted. But you today can enter into the relationship with God where you experience that love. And, and when people say, what is the meaning of life? We, you know, we, we always say that almost as a joke, like we'll never know. But I say with confidence, the meaning of life is to love and be loved. That is it. And, mm-hmm. and when you experience it, know what's like, feel that warmth and love and energy and delight and joy and peace and everything that comes from it. Uh, suddenly now, like, you can start conceiving how, okay, yes, I would love for it to never end. And, and when you experience the love of God and, and start begin to understand the unfathomable depths of his love for just even you as an individual, how much he cares for you, eventually what happens is no longer will you be thinking about yourself, but you're going to be so excited so joyful, so full of love overflowing that then now you will want to tell everybody and you want to bring as many people with you into heaven because you realize now eternity is about the relationships, is about the, the interactions, is about the amazing experiences that we will be able to have, that we'll be able to accomplish. That, I mean, we, you know, no eye is seen, no, is hear, no ear is heard. Uh, we can't fathom what God has planned for us, but he's given us little bit of indications here and there through the Holy Spirit. And, and again, it's, it, it is going to be incredible. It is called paradise for a reason. And I mean, the food is going to be better. Again, you know, nothing is going to be stolen. Nothing is going to die. I, you pick a rose, maybe it will never wilt. I mean, there's going to be things that, uh, just don't happen anymore. I mean, I, you know, everything breaks in this world, right? Everything's breaking, everything's falling apart, but then we're going to have a world where none of that's going to be the case. And now during this wretched life that we all go through now, this is our opportunity to help get as many other people to partake in that eternity too. So this now is for that, is for the others. This is a time we give for others and then God gives us eternity. So that is... I say, why not? And I, I, I want to add to that also that, you know, one, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle with suicide thoughts is because they, they, they want to have a purpose and they feel in their current environment that they're not able to have that purpose. And sometimes in those situations, what we have to do is change our environment and find the environment where we can have that purpose of loving others and where, where, not where we are loving ourselves through something with someone else, but where we are truly, where our gifts, the things that are natural and easy for us to give are a blessing and a help to another person. When And, and hopefully you can find a community that can give that love to you too so you can experience yeah. that here on earth. God doesn't want us to never experience love on this right. earth. It's a we are giving of love and then we are also then receiving love because we can give and give and give and if we don't ever receive it's like we burn out, right? That doesn't like mm-hmm. we we need to receive love as well. And that you know, it's not that mm-hmm. um 
we we may not always receive that from the people we give to, although I, you know, in an ideal world, it's a reciprocal kind of thing. We give love, we receive love. And, you know, I give love yeah. to my husband, I receive love from him. God's perfect system is everybody is giving. <laughs> and because everybody is giving, everybody is receiving. Yeah. And it's sin that creates like the black holes that then start sucking up everything and creating these inequities and... Uh, yeah. And sometimes when, you know, when we're struggling with mental health, when we're struggling with um, difficulties, we end up immersing ourselves into communities where everybody else is struggling too. Mm, and that can, th- that can end up putting us in a situation then where every, lots of people are in need and nobody has much to give. And so it can become, it's important then in those situations to be able to extend our, you know, find other communities and, and places where there is love available to give and where people are giving that love and where we can re- receive the specific love that we need and be able to also give the love that we need to be able to give. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> that was a point I meant to make and didn't do it well. It's, Tina, any thoughts? It's a- yeah, just I'm, I guess I'm just going back to the two original questions that I'm seeing here from our audience. So the first one um, that was submitted was, will all suicides go to hell? And so, um, I mean, I guess kind of based on what you're sharing first, you know, will all suicides go to hell? No, like we see Samson who died for the cause of others. You know, he laid down his life for somebody else. Like, um, you know, if, you know, you saw somebody in this, you know, get, about to get hit by a train or a bus, and you sacrifice yourself and push them out of the way so that, and you got hit and died, would God say like, oh, no, you have to go to hell for that? Absolutely not. You know, definitely that's that's not, you know, a situation where God would condemn somebody. However, in the case of suicide where you're just, um, I think it's, a, it's definitely a, a touchy subject, but I think, you know, when it comes to suicide, it's typically um, the result of one of two things, um, you know, true suicide is either one, somebody is suffering and they don't want to suffer anymore. They're feeling, you know, inner pain and they don't want to feel that pain anymore. And so they want to take their life so they don't have to feel that pain anymore. Or two, somebody suicides to avoid, um, you know, a, a punishment. Like, you know, there's men in World War II who were Nazi soldiers and they knew if they were taken captive, just kill yourself so that you don't, you know, weren't. Uh, like King Saul in the Bible. Right. He yeah. falls on his own sword. Exactly. Because exactly. he didn't want to be taken by the, the enemy. And so in those cases, you know, those are more a little bit tr- trickier. Now, in the case of somebody being mentally depressed, maybe not even in their own right mind and they're, they commit suicide. I think God is a fair and just judge. And I think that God in his mercy will treat everybody, you know, with the fairness yeah. and you know he understands everybody's of, circumstances exactly and so i wouldn't say that anybody who commits suicide is going to go to hell no but i would say that you know if the the if you're just wanting to you know not feel anymore or just you know just to escape something um and you do this knowing that it's going to hurt people and you just don't care and it's more of a honestly a selfish thing um i think that's also you know in of itself a sin because you're knowingly, you know, abandoning people, you're knowingly harming people, um, you know, your family, your parents, children, who knows, but, you know, you, 
th at that point, you have to say, you know, I am struggling and I need to find help. And I think that's more, you know, the willingness to, you know, swallow your pride or whatever it is and seek out help so that you can, you know, face the pain that, or, you know, whatever it is that you're going through in order to, you know, not rob the world of your presence in it. And like I said before, the thing with suicide is it's not just murder, you know, which is a breaking of one of the commandments. It's, it's, it's stealing. Thou shalt not steal because you are stealing the world of the gift of you being in it. Mm -hmm. And that's to me the, the greatest um, sin of suicide is that you are valuable. God looked at the world and said, whoever, you know, in each individual person, we need this person in the world. There's never somebody that God accidentally put here. You, nobody is an accident. God intended for you to be alive. God intended for you to be on this planet and to be a blessing to those around you. And it breaks God's heart to think, you know, to know that so many people don't see the value that God sees in them. And so, um, you know, that's where I think suicide becomes very um, tricky as far as, you know, who would you know, pay for that sin and who wouldn't. Um, I think, again, God is a merciful and a just God. Uh, but then I just want to really quickly touch on AJ's um, question. If you did something bad and aren't forgiven, then why not suicide? I think, AJ, you're under the impression that you have to be given by her, be forgiven by a person here on earth in order to go to heaven. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, AJ, I think, um, you know, as you study God's word. And as you get to know God personally, you'll know that first and foremost, you need to be reconciled to God whenever you do something wrong. Even if you've hurt somebody else, come to God with that and then let God forgive you. And then and let God's love and forgiveness then change you to go out and seek yeah. reconciliation. And and we, uh, AJ has another comment where he talks about how he, he's tired and, and it's really hard to keep going. And so um, AJ, I think it's, it, it is really hard. We always come to these points where like the dark night of the soul is, is sort mm -hmm. of set in. It's interesting. We're in the coaching industry now and um, almost all coaches will tell you that you always reach a point where it just seems like harder and you can't, it just doesn't look like there'll be hope for tomorrow and that it, it is the time to give up. And it's what's interesting they say is that's always a time when you're on the verge of a huge breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Like that's the time when God is going to act most powerfully in your life. Yeah. So my suggestion is like, hang on, push through. There yeah. is hope and God is about to mm -hmm. do an amazing thing. And the Bible says that God will never let you fall into temptation without providing a way out. Mm -hmm. So God has an, a plan for you that can help you overcome your tiredness uh, and what you're feeling, what, whatever is the cause, whatever is keeping it going, God has a way out. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of uh, continuing the persistent persistence the bible talked about the patience of the saints because mm -hmm. life is not easy mm -hmm. not this one the next one will be mm -hmm. next one will be amazing but it's this time that we're when we push through and we get to the other side we're going to look back and say oh this really wasn't mm -hmm. so bad i mean it was bad but i should say the reward was so much better mm -hmm. it is totally worth it so I say push through. You're on the verge of something great, of God accomplishing something great in you. Hang in there and we'll keep you in prayer. And, and yeah, I just really want to echo what Jay just said. That's what I was feeling on my heart to say even before you jumped in and said it. And it is, there are people, and 
you know, I, I want to, I'm going to just be really super vulnerable here for a minute that I went through a very dark period where for several years I was weak, exhausted, not able. I felt like I was not able to do my part to give back. Um, I, 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 there was a, a very extended period of time where I felt I was almost dependent on my husband to take care of me. And because my body was just so weak and so depleted and it is a hard journey to rebuild from, you know, I had gone through a very stressful situation that really struck me to my core and I, and then more stressful situations on top of that. And those things deplete our body. It, it, stress is not just a spiritual thing or a psychological thing. It's also a physical thing. And when we go, when, when we are in that situation where we just don't have enough, sometimes we just need the right nourishment to, to get us built up. And then we have to work through the changes in our, um, our environment, in our relationships, in our communication patterns in there's many different things that we need to learn to work through and it's surrounding ourselves in communities of people where we learn those skills and we we learn to rebuild from in a healthier way in a way that's more aligned with God's plan for us that's when we get victory and i know how hard that struggle can be but i also know that it's possible to get through it and and i can and i'm saying that because i'm i'm here you know i i'm here every week able to share you know in 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 this process and able to you know to to do things that i want to be able to do and that i've wanted to be able to do and to give back and i i i wasn't always in that situation so it, and i've interviewed many people who have gone through these same trials have gone through these same struggles. And even though when you're in that pit of darkness, it can feel like there's no way out. It can, it, everything you look at is just like, it's, you know, that doesn't work and that doesn't work. And that, and I, I just can't take it anymore. Like that's how it feels, right? But keep going because you will eventually get the breakthrough and you, become a new creation in that process that it it literally does take a rewiring of our nervous system which is like the like core in our body and when that happens and we develop new 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 skills and new habits and and new ways of handling things that are more in line with the character of Christ than what we were raised with and what we understood growing up life changes and it changes significantly and it changes beautifully. And that's the path and the direction that we want to go in. So. Second Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful promise we have. Yes. Amen. You know, and I think I can't help but think of, um, you know, we've answered questions similar to this in the past. And at the end of our question, we've put up, um, you know, a suicide hotline number just because we um, 
always want to, you know, encourage everybody out there who's you know, maybe struggling with these thoughts, you know, that God does love you. God does care, but there is a time and a place, you know, to reach out for, for, um, for help. And, you know, that's um, just something that we want to always encourage to our viewers is that, you know, God loves you and he cares about you and he cares about you enough to, um, you know, want you to, you know, to get that help and support that you may need. And so um, I know the number, um, and I'm looking up on Google, it's 1-800-273-8255 as far as, you know, just finding help out there for anybody who's struggling with um, these thoughts and with these feelings and, you know, these these things. Thank you to our director for putting that up. Um, I do see one more comment. I know we're way over time. But but, um, it should be a quick one. Shall we go ahead and put it up? Yeah, so Mikey Noodles, that's a cute name. I like that. Uh, Do you have any insight into this strange detail in Mark? Mark 14, 51 to 52. We read this last, read this last week and were a bit confused about why this was included. Let's go ahead and bring that verse up so we know what that is. Mark 14, 51 to 52. Not I have it up. So Mark 14, 51 to 52, it says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. I can I answer this? Yeah. Okay. I, love I totally okay. <laughs> I actually love this question. Um and actually, there's a verse that I can back it up why I think this. Um, as far as this question goes, I, I totally hear you. Because I remember reading it when I was younger. and being like, that's a weird thing to put in the Bible. <laughs> why would they, you know, have this guy who's like, you know, around when Jesus is, um, you know, arrested and he's half in a garment. And then when Jesus comes, you know, or is arrested, he runs away and he's left naked. And here's what I think. Um, now, in the Bible, there's a lot of things that are kind of symbolic. And one thing that's very symbolic in the Bible is a robe or your clothing. And, um, you know, Jesus talks about having the robe of righteousness, which is, you know, uh, basically, you know, the covering of the saints. God's people are supposed to be clothed with a robe of righteousness. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, we remember, you know, they had light that was covering them. And when they sinned, they their life, their light left them and they realized they were naked and then they tried to sow so, so fig leaves together to make aprons try to cover themselves. Yeah. And we can see um, Genesis and, two twenty five. It says Adam and, and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This was at the beginning, though. I mean, so they didn't have clothes. They were had a covering of light. They didn't realize they're naked. But then after they sinned, Genesis three seven it says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, together and made cover, covering for themselves. So this begins a theme of nakedness, nakedness being associated with sin. Exactly. Now, when it comes to this story here in Mark, a lot of people think that actually Mark is the one, is this person. That's kind of been what I understand um, a lot of theologians oh, really? believe. Yeah. I always and thought that I was John. That, uh, I've, I've not heard that, but maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but either you way. You right. <laughs> I don't know. But either it's way. It's only here in, in Mark. Yeah, we only find it in the Gospel of Mark. But here's the thing. Oh, actually, Mark wasn't one point. of the Mark wasn't one of the twelve disciples, though. 
No, he wasn't. Um, I think somebody just said he was like nearby. I don't know. Anyways, regardless, the whole point though that of this story, why I think it's in the Bible is to be an example of what we need to be when Christ comes. Because, you know, Jesus says, when I come, it'll be like a thief in the night. You don't know the day nor the hour. So walk um, upright because, you know, you don't know. Um, and so uh, basically we need to be covered in Christ's righteousness at all times. We can't kind of be this half and half where we're like, well, we're sort of a Christian, but we're sort of in the world. Because the thing is, when the crisis comes, when Jesus comes, you know, when it's time for us to make a decision, you know, when our trial comes in our life, maybe it won't be Christ's second coming, but a trial will come. If we're not fully covered in Christ's righteousness, we're just going to flee. We're going to end up naked. And I, I really believe this is a spiritual lesson in this story to um, just kind of depict, you know, the state that some of God's people were in, which is that, you know, that his disciple was, you know, just kind of half and half, not fully committed to Christ yet. And um, that the danger in that is that, you know, when, you know, the, the trials come, like this trial came, you know, Jesus was arrested, he could have just stood there, you know, for Christ and said, no, I'm going to stand with my Lord. But rather, you know, he was just kind of like, kind of in between and he fled away and he ended up naked um you know meaning that he was in sin and so i that's why i really think that that lesson is in there and there's another um verse and i'm gonna have to pull it up in a minute uh that basically talks about um you know that we we don't we need to walk in such a way that we don't walk naked um i'm and i'm gonna pull oh, it we're talking about up to the altar but... like no, no stairs at the altar no that's a good verse though too um, I think this is in the book of Revelation, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, in I Revelation 3.18, um, where Jesus tells the, the church, um, he says, I counsel to the, I think he's talking to the uh, church of Laodicea um, in verse 18, uh, because, you know, this church thought that they were well to do. And, um, and Jesus says in verse 17, in Revelation 3.17, Jesus says, you don't even realize that you're poor, wretched miserable, blind, and naked. Mm. And in verse 18, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich, white raiment that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. And so again, I really believe that um, this is a very important point that Jesus wants us to realize is that we need to have his righteousness and recognize that without him, without being fully committed to him, that we are or blind and naked, and then it's only by coming to Christ that we can be clothed and be um, have our sins covered by His grace and His mercy. Amen. And Mikey, uh, thanks for the response back. It says uh, it's such a great connection. Connection. Thanks for that insight. So, well, thank God. you, Tina. Thank you, Mikey. All right. And yeah, and, just and a reminder we- if. Just a reminder: If you're um, you are struggling with suicide and um, and, and difficulties, reach out to somebody. Mm-hmm. Don't do this alone. So, and let us Amen. let us also keep in mind of this wonderful season of reflection of uh, the ultimate price price paid by laying down His life for us. Mm-hmm. So, we hope that it's been a, a will be a blessing time for you. 
Even I know we're we're over time, so we, we definitely got to get wrapped up tonight. But um, we do want to encourage everybody, if you do have a question or if you, even a prayer request, be sure to go to our website, BibleAsk.org forward slash live, and you can, can submit questions there that we will answer uh, and feature on our weekly show every Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And um, again, feel free to also submit any uh, prayer requests. We're here to pray for you as well. You know, Bible Ask Live, we're a team of volunteers and we're just here for you, our viewers, because, you know, we love you. We want to share the love of God with all those out there. And so, again, you know, um, please be sure to um, uh, submit your questions, submit your prayer requests. We're more than happy to um, to connect with you. And we also just want to remind everybody that if you're blessed by our content, please be sure to like and share. Uh, we do really appreciate all of our viewers out there who are working with us to share God's love and his message of hope to the world around us. So we just pray all those out there. We just want to thank you so much for your continued support. And we just pray a blessing to you um, as we close for tonight. So Jay, when do you want to say a closing prayer real quick? Sure, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, the love that gives us purpose and meaning and casts away fear, your love that heals us that um makes again life life worth living and i i pray a special prayer for aj and for everybody who's struggling to hang on life onto life people who are just under a constant attack from the enemy pray that you can give them relief that you can intervene give them the will to resist the the hope to see tomorrow and the love your love in their heart that they may feel the eagerness to make use of this time to bless others. Pray, Lord, that you can help them in this battle, that you send your angels to surround them and bring them through this night and the next and uh, until you come, that we may all stand together with you on that sea of glass when you come someday to bring us into wonderful eternity where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sin, but we can just Again, enjoy life as you want it, the life abundant, life of love and amazing and incomprehensible experiences throughout eternity. So look forward to that day, Lord. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us. And we are so thankful for this season. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for that. We again, we hope to see all of you guys, our viewers, again next week, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, every Friday. God bless you all and have a great night. Bye. Bye.